podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 196, U.S. Sport Aviation Expo 2019, day number two, coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, everyone, welcome to a special live edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. We are here at Sebring 2019 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. This is day two of the expo, and I know there's a big cold front that just went through, but people are excited, things are happening, and they're selling aircraft. We have a couple of people that we interviewed at this at this show, three people actually, uh, some longer interviews, but some really interesting information I'm sure that you'll appreciate. We wish we could see you here at the Sport Aviation Expo. Don't forget if you get your picture at the expo with one of us, or if you go by yourself and get a picture at an airplane or something really cool aviation-wise, make sure you do hashtag stuck Mike selfie, hashtag stuck Mike selfie. Well, let's get started with the interviews. Our first one is with Dan Johnson of ByDanJohnson.com, one of the most inspirational guys when it comes to the light sport aircraft and also sport aviation in general. He has so many amazing videos on the Internet. The next one we did after that is a tactical hearing with Darren Johns, a person who's going to protect your hearing and also enhance hearing. A lot of aviators are starting to use these devices, in-the-air devices, to protect their hearing. Go, they actually, you can use them in conjunction with your headset. Have some really information there, good information there. The other one that we did, Bristol Aircraft, John Rathmel. He's always so excited and charged up because of the fact they are selling aircraft, and uh, they really have a product and some services that have been successful in this industry, in the light sport industry. And uh, I'm sure by all the interviews we've done at the the Sport Aviation Expo this year, you'll notice that people have been really successful. But anyway, let's go listen to the interviews. Well, folks, this is Carl Valeri for Sun and Fun Radio. We're reporting here live at the 2019 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. And one of my favorite people and favorite websites, actually, is by Dan Johnson. A lot of great information, incredible videos. And if you're looking for information on light sport or actually aircraft components in general, it's the place to go. Hey, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for the kind words, Carl. It's good to be here once again, the 15th running of this show. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. 15 years, and we both have been here for 15 years, seen it evolve, and uh, we always get the same questions come up every year. Uh, You know, light sport, is it here to stay, and why light sport? We kind of talked a little offline, you know, why would a a club or a school consider a light sport before we start talking about your website? Well, there's a couple of different reasons. You have, if you're going to go out and acquire an aircraft to Uh, have your club members use or to use in flight instruction, you've got basically two choices. It's not just a binary thing, but let's narrow it down to that just for conversation. You can buy some sort of used aircraft, a legacy aircraft we'll call them, a Cessna Piper, what have you, that's typically 30, 40, 50 years old, 
That means it's typically older than the student who may walk in the door. It's like going and driving your dad's 1950s automobile. It may be kind of fun, but it doesn't have the features in it that you expect now. So you got that choice. Or if you buy a new one of those, they're very expensive. A new 172 is now in the neighborhood of $400,000. Flight schools just aren't going to afford that, and clubs can't afford that either. So their other choice is a light sport. Brand new, modern equipment, low cost of operation, and a purchase price that is at least better. Some, sometimes they can be quite economical. Some of them are a little more expensive than people expected at the outset, but they are all highly qualified aircraft for use. And now a development that's occurred that kind of points to this is that FAA now considers a well-equipped light sport aircraft as a technically advanced aircraft, meaning you can take your uh, CFI checkride in it. You don't have to have a retractable or constant speed airplane anymore. These will do the job. That says to me, this is what pilots should be flying because this is the future. I'm so glad you brought that up. We talked about this yesterday on another interview, the fact that a lot of these aircraft are very advanced. They have incredible electronics, avionics, and some things that we don't even have at the airlines. And I'm jealous of some of these light sports. But with that said, we, we tried to make the point that not to scare people off, you can go as sophisticated or as basic as you want, can't you? Absolutely. There are some marvelous choices out there, literally in the $50,000, $70,000 range for brand new. Even they have some pretty nice equipment in them, but they're clearly more basic than the luxury versions of LSA that are loaded to the gills with all the right stuff. Bringing up the cost, I know a lot of people ask, you know, what, what's the average cost of an LSA? And gosh, uh, it runs the gamut, doesn't it? Sure. I mean, what's the average cost of an automobile? Yes, they put a median number at it, which, by the way, now is around $33,000 average price of a new car. So that considered... A new airplane for, let's say, $55,000, like the Bushcat out here on the field, that's a pretty remarkable bargain for a low-production vehicle. Some people are asking about the technically advanced aircraft, the light sport aircraft. We get this question also. Can I fly IFR in my light sport? Absolutely, you can. Uh, just like you can fly IFR in an experimental aircraft or in a 172, which itself was never actually certified for IFR operation. But if you have the right equipment, there's a list in FAA's regulations. If you have that and all the modern stuff in there as well, of course you can. There's no reason why not. No, and we're dispelling a lot of myths here, but also I want to tell people that, you know, light sport is here to stay, as we know here, 15 years. Uh, it, it's, and there's people that have said it's not what, it, what they thought it would be. I think it's more than it than I thought it would ever be. I think that's well put uh, because, yes, we were expecting these very low-priced things, but if you go back and do a time value of money evaluation, we already have better choices than we were expecting. However, we've also got very expensive choices. If you want all the bells and whistles and something that has been highly engineered, you're going to have to pay a little more for that, just like any other product on the market. As someone that's researching light sport aircraft for ownership, for a club, and possibly a flight school, you know, it seems like there's so much information out there. There's so many different models. You know, is, is there any really good resource out there that I can find models, maybe search, model, type, et cetera? Well, thank you for that softball question. <laughs> yes, of course. I, there, there are a number of good sources, of course, but in this marketplace, I really focus on that a lot. And you can find a great many things on the website. In fact, so much that you need a way to narrow it down. So I have a feature on my website, which is bydanjohnson.com, that is called Plane Finder 2.0. And what it will do is list 
every single light sport aircraft with a special designation, meaning fully built, and grades that in a series of 24 categories that are all this or that questions. For example, high wing or low wing, which do you want? You click the box to the one of your preference, and after you click a few of those boxes, you get a short list that says these are the ones you should look at. Now, they may not be the right one for you. You can always explore more, and there's evaluations on virtually all of them, but that's a way to narrow the field, which is what you need at first. You can't, well, unless your wallet's a lot thicker than mine, you can't afford two or three of them. You've got to pick the one that's going to work best for you. And how do you know that? Well, there's one resource. There are others, though. EAA and many other organizations also have good information, and you should look at them all. Yeah, bydanjohnson.com is where you can find that information, and uh, it's it's a wonderful resource, like I said, but uh, there are so many out there. Uh, one of the things that goes through people's minds when they're looking at light sports, should I get my light sport, sport pilot, excuse me, certificate, or my private pilot certificate? What, what should I do, and what are the differences in price? Well, it's, it's kind of like saying, okay, there's a ladder in front of you, and you need to go up and change a light bulb. Should you jump to the third rung right away, or should you take the first rung? Well, which would be safer? And I think you'd find more uh, feedback, more gratification, if you will, by starting with Sport Pilot because you can get it quicker and you can begin acquiring time. And all that time is valid towards successive uh, certificates. So why not start with Sport Pilot? However, if you go into a common flight school where you expect to run into expertise when you get there, somebody that really knows airplanes and how to instruct, and they want to be the experts that you're hoping for, and if they don't know sport pilot and light sport aircraft, when you walk in the door, they're apt to say, no, don't do that. Go to private right away. That's not because that's really the better choice. It's just that they don't have enough information themselves on sport pilot, and they don't want to look like a non-expert when they're supposed to be an expert to you. I understand that, but it's a bias, and I think that's disappearing slowly but surely. I think so, too. And even people that are career-minded, I know on my other podcast, Aviation Careers Podcast, we have so many success stories of people that started with the light sport. They want to have fun. They want to get started. They want to start bringing people up in the air. This is the shortest route to get there. And, and I tell people, a sport pilot is a pilot, period. Absolutely right. I mean, you know, again, why not start at the beginning yeah. and continue on? Now, for many people, that sport pilot certificate will deliver all they want. The opportunity to go fly, take a passenger, fly all over the country, go lots of places, anywhere with the additional instruction, like into Class B and so forth. But for those that want a commercial certificate later on and hope to get with the airline where there's a golden opportunity in front of them nowadays, uh, still, why not start at the beginning and progress on? In the early days of this, you couldn't use all of the hours toward a successive certificate, and that was definitely a problem, but that's no longer the case. I'm glad you clarified that. Also, people, they look at the fun factor. This is a fun sport aviation. We love aviating and flying. Uh, I want to be able to take my aircraft, say, to the Bahamas. You know, I've heard people say that, gosh, I'm not sure you can take a light sport to the Bahamas. Can you answer that question? Not only can you take the aircraft there, but you can use a sport pilot certificate there. It's the only other country in the world currently that allows the FAA sport pilot certificate to be used. So no problem. I've done it three times. It's a marvelous thing. You should do it. And that is the fun factor there, looking at those beautiful waters, the azures, all the different, the greens, et cetera, and wonderful islands. Uh, speaking of which, you know, there's a lot of seaplane manufacturers that come out in the light sport category. We have like Icon and a few at Bristol, or... Uh, What's the other ones? Sea Ray. Sea Ray. And, uh, and several others. And, uh, 
Correct. Uh, Super Petrel, C-Max is another interesting choice, and more are on the way. In fact, it's been one of the areas of the most interesting development in the last two or three years because they're kind of on the cutting edge of the latest technologies in order to make it all work right. Uh, they've really gone out, gone overboard, if you will, uh, to develop those airplanes in interesting ways, and more are on the way. They sure are, and we're excited here because we're at Sebring right now, and in Central Florida, what a better place to be. You can get to so many different coast countries, like we said, the Bahamas. You can fly north to that colder area. I don't know why you'd want to do that. <laughs> you can go down to Key West. That's the wonderful thing about these these light sport aircraft is the operating cost. It's so much less expensive. I've owned a 182, and I, I look at the operating cost of a, of a light sport, and it's like, boy, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, in fuel cost alone, uh, 182 compared to almost any one of these out here, you're one-third to one-quarter the fuel usage to operate the airplane. Now, that's not your only expense, but generally the light sport will be new, so it should need less maintenance. Of course, you need regular annual maintenance, but it should lead, need less parts and so forth because it's brand new. So that's another way of keeping the costs down. I wonder uh, what part of the market is, is doing really well in the light sport market. Is it uh, the type of aircraft that someone's going to go fly and land on water? Is it a seaplane, land, tail dragger? I wonder which one's doing the best right now. Well, it's a diverse field, so there's a lot of different choices, and it would be hard to evaluate one against the other. It would be apples and oranges kind of comparison. However, recently on my website, we've uh, renewed our market data. It was a couple of years since we had good data. I lacked the right... Uh, IT kind of guy that could go through and comb through FAA's database because that's what it really took. They're a complicated system. I'm not faulting them. It's difficult because a home builder, for example, could call his airplane the uh, the Carl Whizbang Speedster and, and that would be a legitimate name and they have to enter it that way. But then what kind of aircraft is that? So uh, we've gone through and demystified that now and listed every single airplane in the category, meaning light sport aircraft or what we call sport pilot eligible kits, meaning a kit built airplane that you can operate with a sport pilot certificate, meaning no medical. And by the way, on the basic med versus sport pilot medical arrangement, sport pilot does not seem to have suffered from that basic med change. Uh, apparently we're doing just fine because sport pilots driver's license medical provision is still the easiest way to get in the air. I am so glad you brought that up because that was going to be the next question. Is, you know, now with basic med, I think people are saying, well, there is no difference. There truly is. Basic med, there is a process, correct? Absolutely. You still have to go through some hoop jumping. You, uh, you have to do a little bit of that with Sport Pilot, too. For example, you cannot have been denied a medical and then go operate a Sport Pilot on a Sport Pilot certificate, which doesn't mean you have to have the Sport Pilot certificate. You use the privileges of Sport Pilot with whatever certificate you do have. But basic med is great. We have no problem with basic med. This has opened the doors for more people to fly. That has to be a good thing. And renewed some of those legacy aircraft that just weren't getting flown because the operator didn't have a medical anymore. So good on AOPA and EAA for bringing that up. But it has not been the negative that we anticipated at the beginning of that development. How about towards safety? Let's talk a little bit about that. As far as results, we've seen uh, sport pilot, light sport aircraft, uh, we've seen some statistics over the years. Uh, how does that compare to private pilots, commercial pilots, et cetera? Well, I'll use FAA's word that they repeatedly uh, use when they answer the same question, and they say it's acceptable. Now, that's FAA speak for pretty darn good, but we're not going to say pretty darn good. 
and I understand that they're in a position where they've got to be careful with their language. But the truth is, when you look at the charts, yes, a general aviation still has a better record, but it's not by much. And the experimental guys have improved a lot too, so it's all getting better. But the light sport area has done very well since the beginning, and as we've gone to FAA the last four years of our advocacy drive, we've said to them, look, we've been playing by the rules now all these years. This is 2019 is now going to celebrate the 15th year of this rule coming out. And about uh, five years ago, when we first approached them, we said, look, we've been good for a decade now. We've done everything you asked. We've learned how to play the game the way you wanted it played. We believe it's time for some more privileges, and we believe the safety record supports that. And around the room of a bunch of FAA executives, there were nods and affirmation saying, yes, you actually have done things pretty well, even better than they expected. Uh, and also, you know, they had a challenge. There just weren't that many light sports out there to compare the numbers, were there? Yeah, it was a, there wasn't enough sample size in, in the terms of uh, surveyors to really know what was going on. But now, after 10 years, and, and that uh, market survey information I just referenced shows over 8,000 operating aircraft in the registry. So that's now getting to be a large enough sample size to say, yes, actually, the record is pretty good. Now, that doesn't mean we don't lament the loss of every single one who was injured or killed in an accident. That's always terrible, and I'm not making light of that. But the fact is, these aircraft are pretty safe, and the pilots operating them are doing a good job. I'd like you to put your crystal ball on for a second and, and figure out where's, where are we going in the future with light sport? Do you see it growing? Do you see more models coming out? Do you see any type of contraction in the number of models that are out there in manufacturers? Well, the rate of new model introduction has definitely slowed, but it couldn't keep that torrid pace up of the early days. Uh, but you have to look at that question in light of the fact that this is a global phenomenon. The United States has 80% of all the GA aircraft, the type certified aircraft in the world, and the whole rest of the world has 20%. Those numbers invert for light sport or light sport-like aircraft. They're not always called light sport in every country, so I use the latter term. But the truth is the U.S. has about 20% the rest of the world, 80. So a manufacturer of these airplanes has got the world to play in. They don't have to go country by country and gain approval. They have to do some things with each country, but it's not the same process it is as it is for a Part 23 certified aircraft. Although even that's changing because of the good results from Light Sport and its industry standards method. So I think the future is good. The huge variable that we don't know more about yet is this whole business of battery-powered or hybrid power and multi-copters, and there's a brave new world of a different kind of aviation, which I'm slowly beginning to embrace because I think it's kind of cool, but all of us guys who fly fixed-wing or powered parachutes or trikes or whatever, we're getting to be the way it has been. Not that it's going away. I think there's many, many years of good flying that way, and in fact, I think it'll continue. Why not? So one of my analogies has always been, look, if we had the Star Trek world where you could beam me up Scotty, if that could actually happen, the airlines would disappear overnight because why would you sit on an airplane when you could just beam to the other place? Would sport aircraft go away? No, because people want to go out on their boats or motorcycles or whatever and they like to fly their little airplanes around, even if you could beam me up Scotty. So I think the future is good for light sport and we welcome these new multi-copter things as well.
And, and I agree, I think it is exciting to see all these new, basically motors that are out there, whether they're electronic, gas powered, et cetera. And I think it's going to be a great next 10 years to see the technology, because it is jumping forward in leaps and bounds, I feel. Uh, one of the things that I think is terrific about light sport is what you were saying, the recreational flyer, that type of thing. A lot of times they'll get rid of their larger aircraft, like I'm doing, for something smaller, even during a downturn. And we see that happen. People kind of move towards value, don't they? Well, in a downturn, it's probably almost good for the lower cost, lower operational cost aircraft uh, because it is a way to go, well, I just can't afford that. And you know what? I'm not using it as much as I used to if I had it for business purposes and now I don't need that anymore. Well, why have that high expense aircraft when you could have something that costs a lot less and looks as good as these do with all the pretty bells and whistles they've got in them? So I think the future is good. Uh, that doesn't mean there won't be stumbles along the way, and we'll have some companies that will suffer badly, I'm sure, just like there is in any business at any time. But on whole, the ones that know how to play the game well, I think have a bright future ahead of them. I agree. And uh, what about Dan Johnson? What's, what's in the future here? Where are you going to be? What can we see coming forward? You, I mean, you have so much energy. I see so many new videos and articles and publications that are out there. It's just, uh, I'm always excited to see you, and, and I'm sure that the future is going to be bright for you. But what is new? Well, thank you very kindly for all the kind words, Carl. That's great. I'm pl pleased to hear that and glad we're satisfying people. My line is, I love what I do and I hope it shows, and I think it does. So what's going to happen uh, for me and my operation? Well, just more and better, I hope. We're going to con continually improve things as we just did with the market share information. Uh, I used to publish a print magazine, and my two biggest single-line expenses were postage and printing. And I don't have either one of those in the online age, so I have the flexibility to go do different things and theoretically could run my business on my iPhone. I don't do that, but theoretically I could. And with those kinds of technologies enhancing what we do in aviation, uh, there is so much out there to cover that I expect to be busy for quite a few years yet. Well, I'm glad, and I'm glad to hear that. You know, uh, some people want to meet you. What, what air shows might you be at in the future? Well, I uh, typically go to about seven of them each year. This one here starts off the year. Next up will be Sun and Fun. Right at, immediately after that, I travel over to Europe to go to the Aero Show in Friedrichshafen, Germany, which is a wonderful display of aircraft. Uh, then back here, oh, excuse me, I missed uh, Copper State because it's changed dates now. It will be right after this show. So we leave this show, go home for about a week, and then I head out to uh, Arizona for the Copper State Show at the Buckeye Airport and then Sun and Fun, and then Arrow. And then, of course, there's a little gap in there, but there's the Arlington Show, which I'm going to go to this year out in uh, Washington. Of course, the big kahuna is uh, Oshkosh in uh, late July, followed by the Midwest LXA Expo in early September. That's a great show for us. We like that. They're small like a lot of these, but small means intimate, and that can be special in its own ways, and so we love that. Uh, and then the season kind of closes out with the Deland Show, a fairly new show, just done three years now. But that's happening again in uh, early November of 2019. So there's the routine and there's my calendar. <laughs> well, we can't wait to see you at all those. And, of course, if you missed Dan at any of those, you can find him at bydanjohnson.com. One of the most inspirational people in the aviation industry, especially in the light sport field. Thanks so much for speaking to us. Thank you for your very kind words and the opportunity to talk to your audience. This is Carl Valeri reporting for Sun and Fun Radio right here, 2019 live. Uh, a little bit rainy out today, but man, it's changing. I can't wait. I just heard a jet go by. I'm sure that wasn't a light sport, but we're going to see a lot more flying, a lot more really cool vendors out here, and things are starting to get exciting. Well, folks, this is Carl Valeri with 
Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio right at the 2019 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. I'm here with somebody we've talked to in the past and is really passionate about your hearing, and that's Darren Johns. Darren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. You know, one of the things I think a lot of people don't take into consideration is their hearing health in general. I know we have to wear headsets and we put them on because we can't hear because the cockpit is so noisy. But there are so many other instances where we feel like we don't need hearing protection. As a matter of fact, when I started, my boss, he wouldn't let me use a headset in a Piper. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that one. <laughs> it, it really, it, it's, it's interesting because he said you can't hear everything uh, if you have your headsets on. And you know what? That's not true because with advances in technology like tactical hearing, uh, we've been able to hear things that we couldn't hear before in loud environments. And that's what you folks do. Yes, it is. Um, I... I am such. I just grew up with a sister that was born hard of hearing. My mom's even wearing our stuff for hearing needs now, and so I've seen a lot of hearing loss. And what what happens through a result of hearing loss, and what the brain does, and it starts forgetting these sounds, and and it can be overwhelming initially. I understand. You know, people put these in their ears for the first time, and they're like, "Oh my gosh," you know, and it and it takes time for the brain to adjust, but on the on the flip side of that is is what the brain is now re-engaging in life again let alone the hearing protection side of things that we're helping people not lose hearing via in the cockpit or shoot out you know shooting a weapon or just any loud noise riding a motorcycle from wind noise to you know just general noise going out to eat and getting background noise reduction and being able to be drawn back into the conversation that you're trying to be in or at a meeting there's so many i can go on and on there's just so many aspects and so much it's one of our senses you know and i'm just all about hey let's take care of our this this one that we can and that's hearing you know i think some people at a show like this i know i was skeptical at first when i saw your booth tactical hearing because you're not a headset company you know what is it that you bring to the world of pilots well we have a number of pilots as you probably know um, that are saying repeat all the time uh, just as as far as being in the in the cockpit so by reducing all that getting extra noise reduction and having your own volume control that's programmed to whatever your hearing needs are in your ears um, we're eliminating that but and they were they just work great in conjunction with your whatever headset you're wearing um, and so it, it it's a hearing enhancement device that's fully programmable that we're checking hearing we're programming it to what those hearing needs are bringing frequencies that one may be lacking up and then reducing any loud noise that comes in anything that goes above 85 decibels you know we're getting above 30 decibels of noise reduction so a tremendous amount of hearing protection simultaneously and that just draws people back into what they need to hear so I can use your hearing and devices in my ears while I have my headsets on, but also when I'm outside on a very loud ramp, say doing a walk around in, around a jet that's got this really high-pitched whine. Is that, and it'll reduce that noise? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, a lot of my commercial pilots that are wearing my ears complain about the APU. And we see hearing loss in one ear. You know, I, I do a lot in the hunting, shooting, military world, and a lot of people that shoot lose hearing in one ear. And I and I started noticing this similar pattern in some some of my aviators. And I would always ask them, "Are you a commercial pilot?" And it would be their pre-flight check, walking around. Depending on which way they walk around the plane, is the ear facing the plane from that APU? Um, but besides jet noise or someone else, you know, uh, fires up their jet that's in the hangar next to you and it echoes in the one you're in and you know it's now your hearing protection and going to save your ears from that loud noise so one of the things that i think is neat about your device is you can use it say you're a lot of us are into other uh, you know sports like shooting sports and, and i think that's kind of how you got started wasn't it you know if i want to go and i and i go into my shooting environment i can also use these devices well our 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 initial intent was military. We wanted to get it into our military men and women's hands so amidst a firefight, they could still communicate, hear their buddy next to them, hear commands, hear the perp. And and then we went into, we found the advantage because we were, we were shooters and, and, and we were just having huge success with our own hearing protection, better than any muff I'd ever worn. And so we started going to some of those hunting, shooting, type shows and really stumbled across aviation due to a client of ours that said you ought to check this out and so we've been you know our our first show was sun and fun um about shoot seven eight years ago and we've been going ever since and had huge success but we do deal with more profound hearing loss in the aviation world than any of other ones that we're in i mean we're even in the dental world we sell this to dentists and so that, that's uh, an indictment of our industry. It seems like we're not either using our hearing protection properly or enough. And uh, it just, it's shocking. And I would say amongst the professional pilots, that would make sense because, you know, you walk out the door and you're like, hey, you know, I don't need to worry about putting anything in my ears. And all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're getting a little hearing loss. I have it. I, I have to admit it. I've been, you know, walking around jets for many, you know, a couple decades now, and, and I'm noticing I'm having to say, now what frequency was that again? I'm sure you've heard that before. <laughs> I have. I have, you know, and, and and I don't know if it's a if it's a male trait or what, but I get that too where I'll just be at home and see something like I need to fire up my chainsaw and and oh it's only going to take me a couple minutes to chop up this limb the difference now for me is the second i fire my chainsaw up because i've been wearing my tactical hearing devices for so many years it is so loud to me that i can't do it i have to stop go put my my tactical hearing in and then go go back to work with whatever even mowing the lawn i i wear my ears when i mow the lawn i you know leaf blower um, weed whacker chainsaw just all these i i'm so protective of my hearing now it's 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 pretty cool i want to keep it so for the aviator that is looking to protect their ears and also hear better this is a device so we can paint a picture it looks like a hearing aid right yes it does correct okay. So how would I actually get fitted for these? We're sitting here, we're listening to this on the internet. How would I get fitted so that I can buy, purchase these, and where can I find it also online? You know, the you can go to tacticalhearing.com is where you'll find us. Um, the best place is at one of these expos that we're at. 
just because I can grab all the information that we need. What we need is an audiogram and impressions of your ears because it's all custom. It's custom programmed. It's custom fit. Um, and we have some show, show specials, especially there at Sun and Fun. We're announcing a new 64 channel unit that's phenomenal. Um, but you can go to your local hearing center. The bummer with that is they're going to want some money for the information that we just do. But we can we can get get you taken care of that way. You go in and you say, "I need an audiogram and impressions of my ears." I'm I'm going to you know get these hearing protection devices and and send that information to us, and we can take care of you that way. Again, it's tacticalhearing.com. So for us that are pilots, we always have toys. We have our guns. We have our Harleys. We have our cars that we like to drive. We have our boats. And we also work around airplanes, say. That this will actually this is for all those different environments, correct? Yeah, correct, correct. It's going to protect you in any of those environments. I'm having a tough time figuring out how. I mean, so I could fire a gun, have this in my ear, and I'd be fine, protected, and then I can have a conversation with you? Yeah, so what, what essentially what it is, if everyone out there knows um, what an equalizer is, what these are is an equalizer amplifier with a compression circuit for the noise reduction. So the way it's wired, the way it works together, um, it recognizes a decibel level of 85 decibels, which it's OSHA standard, so anything that goes above that, that 85 decibel threshold is going to be brought down in sound, while anything below that is going to be now enhanced, but you're still, you're all, you've got a volume control, memory setting buttons, you're always in control of how much you want brought in. You can get into a real loud background noise setting and diminish all that background, noise and draw you into the conversation you want to be in or you can turn them up really loud like on a hunt uh, you know if you're a hunter and and hear whatever game you're hunting way out long before it comes in but the second that muzzle blast or that aircraft fires up or you're sitting in the cockpit and on a descent and and it gets louder and louder um no matter what the situation, when it hits that 85 decibel threshold, it activates that compression circuit that reduces the sound. Well, that's interesting. So uh, there's there's a lot, I call it magic. So it's a good explanation of the magic behind, behind the headsets or behind the uh, tactical hearing device. One of the things that I, I, everybody's always curious about is how much is this gonna cost me? Is there any type of guarantees and warranties? You know, I, average cost is between two and three thousand dollars a pair. That's pretty average. We got stuff that's a little less expensive and stuff that's a bit more expensive than that. Um, and um, it just depends on what your hearing's like, and and what you're using it for, what your noise exposure, etc. Um, and we have a one-year service warranty and a five-year parts manufacturer warranty on the product. And then I can actually use this device on the road and recharge it on the road, or how does that work with the batteries? Can I uh, wear them all day? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, I'd say 75% of our clients, maybe even more than that, do wear them on a full-time basis and for their hearing needs. And um, it's a number 10 hearing aid battery that we use. You're gonna get about five to seven days continue. You should get about 130 hours out of a battery. I got some tricks if you come by the booth and talk to me and uh, how to get a little bit more life out of a battery, but that's kind of kind of average and you can get it anywhere. Um, but 
I normally point people towards cost or Costco. They they do a good, really good job on selling batteries. You can get some inexpensive batteries there. Now, how about the folks that have other issues with ears? Like I know I have earwax problems. Uh, some people have what is it tinnitus? Uh, that they. How about those folks? I mean, what, how do you address those? Are two separate things. How do you address those folks that have those issues? Well, that's a lot to admit on online. You're, you're, <laughs> you must be good with yourself. Um, so earwax is this being down in your ear and stuff. That is can and earwax can damage these if you don't clean them. It's a real simple process. You just use a brush and some alcohol and clean the the little tip that's down in your ear, and you can scrub the whole whole device. You know, even if you've been out in a dirty, dusty environment and the whole thing's okay with with that little brush and and uh and and cleaning the wax out um what was the other question oh and tinnitus my gosh i've got tinnitus really bad um we have now it's new technology we've had it for about a year and a half or so um, it's called a T-Max, and it's tinnitus masking technology that we put in our 16 channel and up um we're having huge, tremendous success from from that. While these are in people's ears, and even some relief, what after you pull them out of your ears, it's 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 phenomenal technology that's really helping people with that ringing in the ear. Well, for people like myself, they're getting on in age. Uh, we start having hearing loss, and it's for being around jet engines, etc. Uh, how do you convince someone younger that this is a device for them? It's hearing protection, you know, and and so it's it's a device for everyone. And I understand that you know some people squawk at the price when they don't really fully understand what we're accomplishing with our device, and that's okay. Um, I wish they'd wear our stuff, but I'm still as they walk away. I always say, you know, whether you buy this or not, protect your hearing. You got one set of ears. And just knowing what I know about hearing and hearing loss, and there's been a lot of science behind some some other things that, that I don't sell on a scare tactic, you know. So you're not going to hear me really talk about some of the things that happens to the brain as a result of hearing loss, but it's always hearing protection. And and I've got I've got some other stuff that we can get some some younger people that getting into a really good set of hearing protection system if that's all you need that allows you to hear um, but most of the time we're we're selling especially in the aviation industry we're dealing with hearing loss you got to get into that that price range that accomplishes bringing people you know back up into that normal range with these devices well as someone has started that whole hearing loss slippery slope uh i i will admit that it's hard for me to to go towards this but but i'm i'm actually looking at at purchasing some myself and uh we'll report back as to you know how we how we really enjoyed these devices but everybody i've talked to by the way that's has actually used them uh they say it it is life-changing i mean it enables you to go into different environments and get both the protection and the enhancement uh, on your hearing, and I, those are two things that I'm looking towards, obviously, as I get older, but uh, also the protection is a, is a real big thing right there. To find out more, though, you can go to tacticalhearing.com, and you're going to be at all these different air shows, which I think is so cool that you're doing this, and if you want to get fitted, if you want to see if you have hearing loss, 
you can do that for them right here, and it's free. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, anything else we should uh, look towards? In the, you talked about 64 Channel. Anything else coming up in the future that you may want to talk about and give away a little you know, teaser? Uh, not yet. That 64 Channel unit, uh, if you, you know, and I can just explain in front of you, it'd take too long to explain the circuitry too much, but that, that unit, we were having probably more success with that one than we've had with any other one particular unit because of the amount of, of hearing loss we can enhance and bring back um, with with that and really really get some volume out of that and in, in the highest quality of sound that um, <clears throat> for me it almost sounds like I, I wear them to concerts and and music is just crisp and clear in those let alone just conversation um, and and I, it's just the hearing protection side that really makes us stand out amongst anything do any other type of hearing device um, and the, the quality that we bring people in and draw people in that are having struggles in background noise areas, et cetera. And that 64 channel is phenomenal. Well, we, we can't wait to see that. And uh, I'm going to get my hearing checked right now. Darren Johns, thanks so much uh, for talking to us here at uh, Sun and Fun Radio 2019 uh, U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. We can't wait to see you over at Sun and Fun. Can't wait to be there. Thanks, Carl. This is Carl Valeri reporting for Sun and Fun Radio right here at the 2019 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo, Sebring, Florida. Well, folks, Carl Valeri with Sun and Fun Radio. We're here reporting live at the 2019 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. A little bit chilly out here, but there is somebody here that, that warms things up just because of his attitude, and that's John Rathmel here with Bristol. Oh, welcome, John. Morning, Carl. How are you this morning? I'm doing wonderful. I know the, uh, the weather is down, but you're not. That's correct. We're really looking forward to a good day. We have a couple of customers coming in from out around the country, so this is their chance to come in. And that's what we love about the Sebring Show. People come in and can really get a feel for all the different models and brands, but we, we really have been talking to them for a course of three, four months. They'll be in to see the airplanes today. Can't wait. So here, at, you're at Show Center. You come out of the terminal. You go to the right. You're right there. Uh, a great-looking airplane, by the way, and that's uh, one thing that's really important to me as somebody who's looking for an aircraft. It's got to look good. Uh, it's going to sit on the ramp, and I'm going to be polishing it and, and showing my friends. It, but the other thing, too, is the flying capability and, and the handling of this aircraft. Let's talk a little towards that because since we don't have pictures, I want to talk a little bit about flying. Sure, that's great. Uh, you know, that's our that's deeply our passion. And this airplane comes from a designer that's had more than 35 years in the industry. And it, we, we love the way that this airplane is harmonized and, and well put together. Everything falls to hand beautifully in the cockpit as well. So we've got that European luxury fit and finish with handling capabilities that that make it a perfect blend. We find that the customers continue to discover us. There's lots of stuff on various media outlets, including uh, different podcasts and, and uh, YouTube. So there's lots of information out, out, there, out there about how this airplane flies, and we really, we really love the way that customers have been adapting to it. I love the fact that you have that economies of scale, not just in the production, but also in the customers that are out there and people I can interact with as far as Bristol is concerned. And, and that's really important, and that's what's been a testament to your service. I think you guys have done a great job from what I've seen on the Internet. As somebody who's looking at an airplane for a club or, say, a school, why would they choose a Bristol? 
Let's uh, start with uh, the, the last couple of years, they doubled production for us, Carl, uh, a couple times. They added square footage at the factory as well. We became the number one dealer for the factory in, in the world, and we picked up a lot of sales. We have 400 airplanes in, in, over the last couple of years. We have 400 airplanes in the, in the world now. Uh, and in the spring we had 300, and so by by Christmas time we had 400 out there. We've got 50 in the United States, and so uh, those don't sound like particularly big numbers, but we're looking for a long, steady, slow grow. And right now that strategy seems to be working really well. So why why pick a Bristol? A it flies great, feels great, as a roomier cockpit in it than a than a Cirrus. It's got all the same level of sophistication. You can even for various reasons, you can go IFR in that airplane if you decide to equip it uh, accordingly. The flexibility and cross-platform uh, capability with this airplane is incredible, and we're really working hard to make sure that support matches that as well. So it's, the airplane really speaks for itself better than I do. I, I, I get that that if you come and see the airplane and get a, a chance to fly it, that, that's where it really speaks for itself. Now that we're talking about the market, uh, how are things going? How have sales been? I'm proud to say we did very well this year. Uh, yeah, it's been steaming along. Uh, we we sold about 22 airplanes into the into the marketplace this year, and uh, I'm at, we have a strong backlog going into 2019 as well. So we we couldn't be prouder of the factory how the, how they've worked with us and the way our customer base has responded to our ongoing service. I think we're we're hitting the mark as far as I can tell. Certain flight academies, such as Sebring Flight Academy, have decided to choose Bristol. Uh, and you know, speak towards that. Why? Why did they choose it, and why would a school choose the Bristol? Uh, my my partner Lou Mancuso has been with this project from the very beginning, and he's got a legacy plan to bring forward uh, uh, the landing doctor protocols and teaching. He he dubbed himself the landing doctor, and so he's putting his money where his mouth is. He put two. Uh, nearly half million dollars worth of airplanes into the academy down here as brand new Bristol aircraft to work out the training on some of his principles that he's trying to help make it safer for everyone to fly. I love the fact that he's building that legacy, but he, he you know, as true, true to form, he's putting his money where his mouth is and put it right into that school here. The weather's here, the, 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 business model for how he has it set up is dynamite and he's using what one of the best airplanes in the marketplace it's a technologically advanced aircraft so you know where people used to have to buy a piper arrow to get retractable and these other things this airplane is technologically advanced and we can t train a guy all the way up through atp they got some great financing deals to to put that together lose backing that as well so that's one of the reasons that airplane landed here at at sebring to uh, put a flight academy together for it a few other flight uh, schools around the country, including mine in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We've got uh, uh, tens of, uh, I was going to say thousands of hours. We're in, in a couple thousand hours on, on Bristol's now, and we've been working with the landing doctor protocols as well. We're hoping to make a difference across and, and in safety, comfort, and style across the board. You know, one thing that I've seen from my friends, say, at the airlines that I fly with, they uh, are looking at this because they, they've thought about a Cirrus, like you said. Uh, there's a bit of a price difference. Maybe we should address that because some people are not familiar. Uh, what are we looking at price point-wise? 
Well, even a used Cirrus can go in the five hundred thousand dollar range and news up close, much closer to a million eight hundred thousand dollars. When a person realizes that nine times out of ten they're in an airplane by themselves, mm-hmm. the wife loves to fly but doesn't fly all the time. The wife is an airline pilot and the husband doesn't get that he's a lawyer and he doesn't get there and she wants to just fly her plane. This airplane is a great all-arounder, but most of the time, because of the great useful load, it's lighter, faster, stronger than most of the other airplanes on the market. Really does cruise at 120. You can carry 44 pounds in each wing locker, and you've got another 40 pounds behind the the pilot. As a, as an all-around airplane, anyone can jump in that airplane, take a six and a half hour flight, and have plenty of reserve with a full load, comfortably, easily. That, that it makes that airplane a real all-arounder, especially when you're riding around in an airplane 80% of the time by yourself. So, John, how would I sell this to my significant other, my wife? or how's, How does somebody do that in this aircraft? Because one of the first things that comes up, of course, is comfort but also safety. Yeah. Well, one of the other items, we, of course, we offer a parachute just like you would in a BRS recovery system, uh, to put it more formally. That airplane uh, is very similar to a Cirrus. So when a wife uh, or, or a significant other comes out and says, uh, you know, I, I really love flying with you, but what do I do if something goes wrong? We've got some amazing technical capability within the system. We also offer a pinch hitter course for the other significant other if they're not particularly proficient or a pilot themselves. And then we have recovery systems and that seems to be something that you know cirrus has played off of there uh that for a little while in the marketplace has been sort of a bellwether and uh, we've been offering it for since the airplane was was in, from inception so in this marketplace we've seen a lot of shifts you know light sports started there's a lot of people came into this market and you guys have really excelled for somebody who's looking at purchasing one uh, something that's important to me is the fact that i'm going to get a lot of support what differentiates you from the other folks? We return phone calls. And one of the biggest things is communication. We have a special uh, relationship with the customers, and we stay very close to them the entire time. What differentiates us from other competitors is we still have a great contact with the designer of the airplane, and he's working in the factory on an everyday basis. I'm able to call the guy at lunch and say, hey, uh, we have an issue with something. It'll be taken care of by that afternoon or the next morning. Uh, We have a phenomenal relationship with the factory, and we put a lot of the credit for this airplane design and support on them. But Lou, my partner, again, high five to him and our director of maintenance, Rich Masano. I can't say enough about our, our extended team, and, and, and but Lou has consistently decided, you know, for the American marketplace, we're bringing over $50,000 in parts in containers regularly. So we back good customer service with a warranty program that basically uh, is uh, summed up in one word, yes. When a guy says, hey, is this covered under warranty? Yes. What about? Yes. Don't worry. Yes. What, we'll take care of it. Yes. Well, you know, I thought light sport was supposed to be inexpensive. Well, it's not any evident airplane never is entirely inexpensive. Every budget m- matches what, what somebody can do. So there's lots of planes out there. But we've been saying yes to warranty claims for a while. Ask yourself if you're in the market, does, does a company that I'm about to deal with, is their warranty? Yes. We'll just cover it. And so that's where we kind of build a good reputation. And the team that we have really is is known for that. That's where they, we, we make our, our relationships with our customers. 
I think yes is really important to me when I call somebody for service. And, and the fact that uh, you're available is really important. Even if it's not, you know, hey, I need something covered, et cetera. You know, can I just ask you a question? Yeah, there's someone at the end of a phone 24-7 uh, with us. You know, people often say, will you be in the office at, at noon on Sunday? No, but at the end, uh, it may not be at the office, but I'll be at the end of the phone. And typically, you can find me at the office as well. So uh, the, the whole team is uh, extremely mission-driven and our customers. I, I love sharing customer contacts with our new and potential customers. Say, you know, you have a similar situation. You wanted a turbo. You live in the mountains. Let me give you a contact with Mr. Smith. And Mr. Smith can have a conversation with you. This is why he chose our brand over a different brand that he's been looking at. Well, I really like this one. It's available. It's in my backyard. But I really like your plane, John, for style, fit, and finish. I want to kind of come your way. I have another customer that is exactly in the same spot you are. Let me give you his number, and you guys talk to him. Don't don't just go by my my say so so we have a, a really nice network of family in fact tonight here at the show carl i hope you get a chance this evening uh th this particular comment won't have a lot of legs as it, as this gets replayed over time but come over and visit us with our italian dinner night we'll be cooking dinner wow. at our place it'll be delicious and our and our customers and and our customers who are potential customers come to this big dinner we we mingle we do it at oshkosh we do all the shows and we throw a big italian dinner we have um some drinks some cold coca-colas and some 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 water and and some or whatever you or whatever you fancy and everyone hangs out together it's it's a, it's, a, it's what you wish coming to a show would be like if you're a new customer and it's it's the way we've been doing things for a little while now and and it seems to be paying off yeah, I will say one thing. Hats off to you guys as far as marketing and sales. At most shows, I think you do a much better job, much more inviting than most, uh, and that kind of proves it right there. I mean, having an Italian dinner for an Italian guy, I think it's really important. I know you can't see it, but I've, I've had a few meatballs, that's for sure, and I, I can't wait to go there. You know, <laughs> with that said, one of the things that I, I really enjoy about Bristol is you guys have been so upbeat, and everybody in the organization, you know, I just talk to you all the time, John, but I actually go around and talk to the other folks that are here, and they're incredibly passionate about this aircraft, and it seems as if they all have some input, and they really feel like it's theirs. It starts from the top. The the designer, Milan Bristol, his son, Martin, his family. If if you get a chance, you'll see a lot of stuff online that will suggest, please come visit us at the factory. Our customers will say, would you mind if I went to the factory? There's a lot of places you can't even get past the front door or uh, Nurse Ratchet at the, you know, it's not, you're not going to the factory. We're, we have an open books uh, m mindset. Uh, we're very uh, uh, friendly, open, also frank. If a, if a person isn't well suited for an airplane, we really try to make that clear and, and help them steer them toward a brand or uh, another some of our colleagues in, in the industry. We, we frequently, in fact, uh, uh, like uh, give a shout out to the guys at Flight Design and Tom Beginney and, and the, the team that's over there. Tremendous uh, integrity within the, in their system. They've had their ups and downs, no pun intended in aviation. But you know, when a customer comes here and says, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with getting up on a wing, my wife, I had her hip done, and I don't think we can get in and out, or or whatever, my spouse, significant other, has trouble, they might be able to slide into a flight design even easier. We have a great relationship with our existing other customer, uh, uh, other other colleagues, and we walk them over and, and uh, do a handshake handoff. And, and that happens, uh, so, so it's it's genuine. I mean, take, take my word for it, I know you can't quite see that while you're not at the show, but that, that really does happen. We love the, we love the category, it's right. really growing.
So you truly are an, an ambassador for the industry and for this category, which I think is terrific. Uh, as far as people listening right now, before we forget, where can they find you? Well, you can find us online at BristolAircraft.com. You can reach out there. We've got uh, a Florida dealer down here in in, in uh, Punta Gorda. You can reach out to John Calla in Florida. you got Lou, who's... Uh, well, not quite by coastal. Lou is in, uh, if, if you call Long Island one of the coasts, he's in Long Island and Florida. We've got a grass strip down here that we that we use with a couple of hangers. We have the Sebring Flight Academy down here in Florida. So, uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, is is our home for where we put the aircraft together. Uh, and we have a flight school there. That was the one that uh, John Callis started. It was a Liberty Sport uh, av- aircraft aviation previously, and now we have uh, our school there at uh, the Bristol Academy and, uh, and Sport Flying USA Services there. So we put all the airplanes together there in Lancaster, and then we do on-the-road support with our director of maintenance, Rich Masano. Yeah, we're talking a lot about Bristol. I have a couple industry questions for you. Sure. There's some people that uh, get a little basic that are new to light sport, and they're considering uh, what to do if they should become a light sport pilot and get their sport pilot certificate. Uh, they're also thinking about flying IFR. I think there's a perception that you can't fly IFR in a light sport. Could you speak towards that and make people understand how you can? Sure. There's a little bit out there on the web. If you look around a little bit more, it, it really what you want to do is meet, meet the FAR's 91205. So if you can meet 91205 with your aircraft, the FAA is happy to let you fly IFR. Of course, you have to have the proper credentials and ticket. You have to have an IFR ticket, and then you're also going to need to have an IPC. So if you're current, you have a ticket, and your airplane meets the requirements, it doesn't really matter what kind of airplane it is, you can do that. So in the last couple of years, we've done that with this airplane. So you can learn to fly as a light sport pilot, work your way up to a private pilot, work your way up into the instrument ticket. There's some nuances of that, and it takes a little bit of uh, Coca-Cola or a hot cup of coffee to sit down and figure out what those details are and how to uh, achieve it. But you absolutely can take an airplane that's made at the factory as an SLSA and fly it IFR after you've converted it, you're going to need to convert it into an ELSA if you want to rewrite the um, the, um, uh, the the limitations page, and that's a uh, a holdover from the experimental world that you can you can do that. You can make it into an IFR plane if you want to fly hard IFR with it, with the SLSA as we have it now. Carl, it's interesting. The factory allows us to f- file IFR, but fly no IMC. Mm-hmm. So you might just want to have the traffic protection separation, or fly, let's say, through the Washington SFRA, which covers hundreds of square miles around Washington. You might just want to file and fly through there on a clear day, but have traffic separation. You can do that now. Mm-hmm. Terrific. I'm glad you clarified that, and I think going forward, this is a really important point. Also, the fact that people are looking at this as a primary trainer and they want to move on, say someday they want to become an airline pilot. Why start with an, uh, a sport or a LSA? Uh, e- economics, the airplane really only uh, burns about four and a half gallons an hour of car gas if you happen to have an injected engine. Airplane three, maybe it's only three gallons in the pattern. These planes are super reliable. They're really comfortable. You're not really wedged up against each other. Anytime you jump into an old Cessna 152, 172, you're wedged up against the other guy's shoulder to shoulder on a hot day. Climb out to 250 foot a, a minute. You jump in this airplane 750 foot a minute and you're comfortable as all get out and you got visibility like you haven't had in GA airplanes for 35 years. You know, just remember, Carl, we also have uh, a burgeoning industry that's still in its 
more or less in its infancy, mm -hmm. and it's just it's just growing up now. So you're seeing regulations changing and morphing around this airplane. You're looking at uh, possible changes with. Uh, you saw how long it took for people to get into basic med. Well, now we're looking at what it's going to take to evolve LSA, and, and the, the changes that we expected would happen are beginning to 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 surface. Will possibly change over time. But you're seeing airplanes. Uh, be talked about with bigger engines than 915 and other things like verbal pitch props come into play and people be, being able to make advancements they'll naturally come our way we're starting to see these the, the, it's working into a lot of different directions that that we knew would eventually happen but it's 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 not hard and fast that lsa is a static thing it's actually on a timeline i'm glad you pointed that out but boy if you want a new aircraft that looks great flies great is safe has good service, and I think Bristel is the one to look at. Again, it's Bristel.com, John Rathmel. Is there anything else you want to mention before we, we knock off here? Uh, you can also find uh, the Bristel.com will get you right to the factory website, and BristelAircraft.com will get you to our website here in the United States. So if you're starting to really feel like you want to price something out, look at avionics, interiors, paint jobs, that's where you can do that, and, and you can also give me a call. My numbers are on the listed on the site. Feel free to give us a ring. We're excited to see you grow. We're excited to have you back, and every year we look for you. Where can we see you in the future if someone's actually wanting to see you, maybe at a show, et cetera? Thanks for teeing that up, Carl. Yeah, we'll be over at uh, we'll be over at Sun and Fun like always, and you'll also be able to see us uh, just before you get the Paradise City, uh, the, the, the Paradise City uh, uh, runway on the in the, in the main gate on the right hand side, a pretty prominent place right before you get to the Paradise City where all the other LSAs. You'll find us in Dan Johnson's LSA Mall at the Llama uh, set up there. So you'll be able to find us in Dan Johnson's LSA Mall. We'll be doing demos there. We'll also be doing uh, product walk-arounds and reviews, and we're doing that here at the Sebring Show. You'll see us at Oshkosh, same place as you as we were in last year. So uh, it, it's a, a, a long continuum. We'll be here for a long time. Gosh, you know, I can't wait to fly. I know last year you promised to take me up flying. We never went up. You're the busiest guy here, which is a good thing. I don't want to get in, in the way of your sales. And I'm, I'm glad that, that this market is being supported by you also and by Bristel by coming out with such a great product and great service. So hats off to you folks. Thank you, Carl. I really appreciate you coming by. Thanks so much. We've been talking to John Rathmill with Bristel, Bristel.com here at the 2019 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. Carl Valeri with Sun and Fun Radio. Well, I hope you enjoy those interviews from the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo 2019, day number two. Uh, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to stay the rest of the weekend. We don't have any more crew here, and I was uh, down at the Sport Aviation Expo, and I have to go back to work tomorrow to my regular day job of flying airplanes. Oh, well, that's not too tough to do. But, but boy, really great information that we gleaned from this. Don't forget, if you are at the Sport Aviation Expo the rest of the week, eh, don't forget to do a hashtag stuck mic selfie. And, well, just in general, if you're whenever you're listening to this, all the links to the things that we talked about in the interviews will be on the website, stuckmikeavcast.com. I hope you enjoyed uh, some of these live interviews that we did. Uh, we And as you can tell, I love bringing it to you. I know the weather was bad today, and I know that we have some more rain coming through uh, right about now as I'm leaving. But uh, people are charged up. An interesting fact that uh, I'm not sure we gleaned from these interviews, but it's a smaller show. It's more intimate. But interestingly, a lot of these vendors do better here at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo here in Seabrook.
Sebring, Florida, and then many other places uh, throughout the U.S. Since uh, people are there, they're interested, they're buying, uh, they're looking at new products, et cetera. If they're not buying, uh, there are some really serious uh, buyers and also uh, serious customers. The other cool thing is the youth aviation zone. There's a lot to do with uh, all sorts of careers in aviation, getting youth interested in aviation, not just for careers, but also as a hobby that'll last for the rest of their life. You can find out more sportaviationexpo.com. Start planning your trip for next year in January to the Sport Aviation Expo. We go every year. It's our first uh, really big air show of the year, and it's exciting for us to bring it to you. Well, folks, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.